Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. Taking a break from the show, you know, entrepreneurs inspire me. I love meeting leaders of successful ventures who discover an idea, formulate the business, and then execute. You'd assume that they know how to structure their personal finances. I believed that too, but I was wrong. Entrepreneurs are never taught to effectively manage their wealth to work alongside their business and lifestyle. All of that work, effort, toil, and time wasted. Entrepreneur 101 is an online course that teaches you a financial strategy that works so that success is not a flash in the pan, but lasting. The spirit of the entrepreneur doesn't have to be compromised. Register for the Entrepreneur 101 course today for free at thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. That's Echo November Tango, thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. Hey everyone, this is Patrick. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast this week. I hope you guys are well. I know we're in rough times. I hope you're gaining some insight and some motivation from the podcast to help navigate these waters and find some fulfillment, some joy, some gratitude as well as opportunities to grow and be even more successful. So I wish you guys the best. Hey, right out of the gate, this is what I'm going to talk about today. I think it would be important to note this up front. So I'm going to get into the top four things I took away from Tony Robbins' UPW Virtuals, the biggest Zoom call, I think the biggest virtual event ever done. There was like 24,000 people on there. Tony had this like 360 screen that went all the way around. It was incredible. And I had a great, great experience. I'm going to share four things there. And at the end, there's a couple of questions that came in through social media and YouTube that I'd like to answer. The first one was based on the interview that Andy Tanner and I did, which is how do you go about studying the Federal Reserve System? And then the second question related to the stock market and came from the Richard Dun- one of the Richard Duncan interviews, which was what is the Federal Reserve going to do if the stock market crashes? So thank you guys for, uh, for being here. Thank you for supporting me. And thank you for taking the time to learn and grow and take the, the steps necessary to take your life to the next level. All right. I'm going to first get into a few recommendations that I have before I do the Tony Robbins thing. 
So there's a company slash app that I started using in 2008, 2009. It's actually probably more like end of 2009, 2010. But it was a company called Lexington Law. Lexington Law was one of the first credit repair companies out there. And their platform and their system and their model is amazing. I know right now with job loss, with just the crazy times that we're in, credit's getting crushed. And so I put a link. It'll be in the show notes. It'll also be on the resources page. Credit monitoring, credit repair. These guys are the best. Credit these days, it's kind of here to stay. Even though they change and, and adapt a little bit, it's the objective way in which, whether it's mortgages, credit, business credit, whether it's getting hired, whether it's renting, credit is, is almost an, a necessity, good credit. And so staying on top of it, even though I, I have a perfect credit score now, I still maintain monitoring because you know identity theft is still prevalent out there. And so staying on top of it's also important. So they have some credit monitoring services as well as credit repair services that I still take advantage of to this day. Incredible company. They're actually here in Utah and they've been around the longest. And, uh, and from my experience, incredible. So if you guys are in need of that service, definitely check them out. So go to the resources page on thewealthstandard.com or the show notes. Okay. Second thing is a new app that my wife and I started using over the last uh, several months, which is you need a budget. So I have an accounting staff here for, for the business. I have bookkeepers that do some of the other business stuff that, that, that I have in investment. But for you know, personal cash flow, uh, usually between my, my, wife, uh, my wife and I. And so You Need a Budget is one of those apps that has just continually improved. And it's so easy to use. We use it all the time. And it really helps to identify money going out and opportunities to be more efficient with that. So check them out as well. Uh, as well. There is a, a link in the show notes and the resources tab. Okay, let's get into what I took away from Tony Robbins, the Tony Robbins event. So first off, you know, for those who've been listening for a while, I invited you guys all to come to the live UPW in San Jose, and there was going to be one this summer in Chicago. Neither are happening. Tony tried to reschedule and reschedule and find this city and find that city, <laughs> and finally it was like, nothing's going to open. It's not going to happen. And uh, I think that realization just opened up a space for him to innovate and create a new level, a new precedent for virtual meetings and conferences. And so this meeting was amazing. There was people from all around the world. Uh, You had a a 360 screen with people's faces on there. I think he's, I'm not sure, you know, from a visual standpoint, probably wasn't able to sleep just because like all that light uh, for that long. But anyway, I had this 360 screen. You guys can check out some some pictures. They're all over social media and YouTube. But it was a, it was a great it was a great event. You know, I've been to a number of these events. The dynamic was different. At the same time, the content and the experience was very similar and incredibly effective. He's doing it again in November, and I'd like to invite all of you guys. This is something that allows you introspection and breakthrough. That is, I have not found it possible in other. Areas of life, unless you get fired, have a rough time, and it happens, your breakthrough happens to happen because of terrible pain, frustration, anxiety, depression. When you're at the bottom, breakthrough usually happens. This is a way in which you can do it proactively. I I know there are a lot of, lot of maybe even you listeners right now. I mean, unemployment claims are on you know thirty eight, almost forty million. You have. All sorts of major companies filing bankruptcy every day. I know it's a rough time. 
this is a time where innovation and solutions, it's the biggest opportunity ever yet. That is the paradox. The paradox, I'm going to talk about another paradox in a, in a moment, but the paradox is during the times when nobody wants to innovate and they're scared for their life to innovate is the time to innovate. So this is an event that helps you really understand yourself at a deeper level. So uh, make sure you, you bookmark that. You know, it's, it's virtual. So uh, you just need an internet connection and you have to use Zoom, but it is, uh, it, it's amazing. And I, and I imagine it is going to be even better than the, the last uh, four days because there were some quirks. There were some things that I got kicked out a few times. At the same time, there was, you know, it pushed the limits of Zoom. It pushed them. I know it did. And I believe it's going to be even better. For those of you who are business owners, entrepreneurs, investors, Business Mastery, which is also an event I've attended a number of times, and it has changed my business. It has changed my finances. You guys have heard about it on the podcast a number of times, both directly and indirectly. But Business Mastery is incredible. And that's going to happen August 19th through the 23rd. And I can't wait for that. It's going to be an incredible. It's going to be incredible to see how he does everything virtually. But if you're a business owner and investor, check that out, please. We'll put some links on the on the show notes. So here's what I learned from UPW. Now these are things that I have maybe talked about before. The things that that I heard, understood to an extent, but because of where I'm at in life, because of you know how it's always different when you consume information, especially in a good heightened state. Uh, you think about it differently and it makes more sense or it connects with you at a deeper level. So the first thing of the four, the first thing I learned or, or had some kind of breakthrough with is the, the science of achievement. So the science of achievement, again, science is the ability to, to show reason as far as why something is become, has an outcome. And, and I look at achievement, the desire for achievement is within everybody, even if they don't say that it is. People are naturally compelled to grow. And to get to a next level, which is achieving a new level, and then a new level, and then a new level, and a new level, and it never stops. And so the art or the science of achievement is to really understand the method behind what is achieved. And you do so, you know, it kind of gets a little complicated, detailed, but I would say the easy way to explain it is identify what you want first. (laughs) You know, it sounds self-explanatory, but usually people have an idea of what they don't want. They don't know exactly what they want. And sometimes people describe what they want as, as what they don't want. So, well, I don't want that. I don't want to be poor. I don't want to you know, just have this career for the rest of my life. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. Identify what you want. Then it's going about discovering those that have achieved that and hopefully more. When you've discovered that person, organization, et cetera, now it is the study of their method. And their method could be mindset. It could be routine. It could be language. It could, there's a number of things, but I'll use an example of losing weight or, or body, bodybuilding. So having a, a certain physical appearance as well as internal energy level. So the idea is to first identify what you want. Then you look at the science behind someone who's achieved it. It could be how do they prepare? You know, how much sleep do they get? What time do they go to bed? How do they prepare for sleep so they get a good deep sleep and allow their body to repair itself in at the highest level? What do they do with their exercise routine? How do they prepare? How do they eat? What do they eat? What are the portions? Why did they choose those portions? So you get into the science and really study what it is you want to achieve. And it's it's been done before. Obviously, we live in a shortcut society. So everybody wants the 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 pill or the quick fix. 
the science of achievement, there is a method to it. And the method is, you know, step by step formulaic. And it's really understanding that from someone who has achieved it and trying to embody what they do from how they speak. It comes down to what you want to achieve, but I'm gonna, I'll go back to the physical side of things. It's how do you speak about yourself? What are the routines you take in the morning, the day, the afternoon? How much time do you spend here? How much time do you spend there? Understanding that allows us to start to connect to, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm going to do all of the, I'm going to do 70% of these things. Okay. And start to chip away at what I really want. Okay. That's the science of achievement. When you identify what you want to achieve, 99.9999% of what you most likely articulate has been achieved. Now it comes down to identifying the person group who's achieved it and breaking down their methods, breaking down their mentality, their perspective, their philosophy, and starting to compare. Okay, the next thing is the art of fulfillment. This comes to that next paradox that I mentioned a moment ago. So the art of fulfillment, it really sunk in because of quarantine and the shutdown, because I discovered that there was certainty that I wanted with regard to my business, with regard to traveling with regard to why this is on the calendar. We've done this. We've prepared for this. We've planned for this. We've, is it going to happen? Is it going to, I don't know. It might happen. Like that uncertainty, you know, really frustrated me in a number, number of different instances. And so the idea of, of fulfillment really comes down to regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of achieving what you want or getting what you want or things being the same, it's to be grateful, appreciative, and fulfilled as if nothing changed. Now, I just mentioned that we're compelled to change. We're compelled to grow. But the art of fulfillment, and this is why it's an art, it's different for everybody, it's to find ways in which you can appreciate how things are. You can appreciate what you've already achieved. You can appreciate and be grateful for all the things around you. And here's what's interesting. Uh, there's a, a book called Letting Go by, by David Hawkins, and it talks about the science of letting go, the science really of Art of fulfillment. I'm so grateful that where it essentially frees up space, energy, so that what you do want to achieve is actually more likely. It's interesting. Okay. The paradox is, is essentially you're more likely to get what you want and achieve what you want if you are already fulfilled by what you have. <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of interesting, kind of weird. But I, I really connected to that and started to appreciate what I, who I am, what I have, all the things to be grateful for uh, around me. And it's, uh, it's, amazing what that, it's amazing what that does. Tony all, all uses the example of Robin Williams. Uh, Robin Williams being one of the most loved people on planet Earth, amazing actor, achieved all sorts of levels in his career, yet he never figured out fulfillment. And that's why he killed himself. So the idea is it's, I'll sum it up in a quote that he often uses, which is success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. So those are the two first two things. Second thing is the success curve. So the success curve is there's also in economics, something called the S curve. It's not the same, but the S curve and, and, uh, and success curve is first starts out as growth. Now, most people that study finance, study wealth, have heard, understand compound interest, that interest, earning interest, earning interest, earning interest, 
most people don't really understand the the nature and tenets of compound interest, and they look at you know this this linear thing, which oh man, if I earn eight percent and eight percent and eight percent, and I earn it over the course of fifty years, I'm going to be this. But like life is not linear. Life does not happen like that. No tree grows to the sky. So just as much as you know, in nature, there are things that you know stop at a certain level and then innovate at that level. Same thing happens with success. Same thing happens in economics. Uh, I was in Montana a few weeks ago, and you had these trees, right? That fell kind of like almost onto the river, and then you know they, you could see how it was bent over because the roots were kind of sticking out, but yet it still stayed in place and didn't fall in the river. And then the the trunk actually started to you know uh, grow straight from that point on, right? So this is the idea of success curve as well as innovation in economics or in, in an economy, right? Right now we're we're seeing we're seeing it all around us. We're at like the going down piece of the compound curve. Society has grown, markets have grown, things just have gone up, 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 and there's so much pressure on. It not going up based on the same principles that got it there. And that's why you're starting to see declines. And this happens in our personal lives. This happens in nature. It happens, you know, also in, uh, in economics, in markets, in society, right? Where you grow based on certain principles and then it starts to decline. From a personal and success standpoint, you plateau. What gave you, fu- what gave you satisfaction before? No longer gives you satisfaction. It's the Parkinson's law, which is a luxury soon becomes a necessity. A luxury experienced soon becomes a necessity. So, driving. How many people take for for granted driving? Okay, where people had to be on a horse or walk before, right? Flying. I mean, there's there's so much we experience in life that was at one point a miracle, and now it's just like oh, whatever. But you look all around us, and there's miracles. There's miracles everywhere, but yet. The satisfaction of what we experience initially as a miracle loses its luster. So the success curve is the is understanding and anticipating that, but then also recognizing that in order to S it, right? And so instead of collapsing, S curve is essentially innovation. So you start to plateau, then you decline, but then you innovate and find better ways of doing things. And then it starts to go up again. Then it becomes an S curve again. Then it goes up. Then it becomes an S. Then it goes up. That's the nature. That's the nature of things. If you can anticipate, so instead of things collapsing all around you, it's really understanding that wow, what worked before no longer works. I have to innovate in order to continue to grow. So that's what I had learned, and I think Tony learned it as well because he kept wanting to do things the way he had done them before. He wanted to do UPW live. He wanted to do Business Mastery live. He wanted to do all these events live, in person, because of the incredible dynamic and experience it is for everybody, including himself. We can't do that anymore. <laughs> and so now it becomes I, instead of going down and down and down and down, I'm going to innovate and go up. And I think he's going to crush it. I think this set a whole new precedent for virtual events. It pushed Zoom beyond its, lim- beyond its limits. And I guarantee it's going to be much better the next round of the next round as far as these, these new virtual events. So I'm excited for that. All right. The, a couple of the final things, and then I'll get into some of these questions. So the anticipation and momentum. So I talked about anticipation. Anticipation is is knowing what I'm talking about and what I now realize is important to life, important to my satisfaction as an individual, and I'm assuming yours as well. And it's anticipating that these things are going to happen. And 
they're already happening. Right now is an incredible opportunity really to, to step back, reflect, and start to implement these principles. But it's anticipating that it's going to continue to happen in, in the future. Now, looking at how we emotionally react to things, of course, we don't, we're not going to look at this, which is logic. We're not going to look at this and instantly be able to implement it. It's really balancing the emotional and logical side of our brain and our makeup. So anticipating the future is really understanding the principles behind navigating water as opposed to 100% jerk reaction, emotionally responding or reacting to things. And then momentum. So momentum, you know, in physics, you get economics stuff and you get in physics stuff. In physics, you have elasticity, the kind of maintenance of momentum. And inelasticity, right, is, is where you start to decline. The momentum declines. And in order to get back up to the level where that momentum was, it takes way more energy than the amount of en- energy that left going down. Just look at you know, losing weight or working out or getting in shape. If you are in the peak shape of your life and you just take like two weeks, three weeks off, and then try, you're not going to go back to normal. And it actually takes longer than three weeks to probably get back to normal. So the idea is, is maintaining as much momentum as possible. Right now, there isn't much momentum anywhere in society because people have been forced home. They've been forced, in a sense, to do certain things differently. And because people don't have the certainty of what gave them fulfillment, success, a good experience in life before, now you have to find new ways of doing it. And the more momentum you lose in every area of life, the harder it is to get back. So it's the maintenance of momentum. So once you get there, it's not losing that momentum. If you if it goes down, it's recognizing it and then doing what it takes because you've anticipated what it takes and understand the principles of what it takes to actually catch yourself and build back up. So those are the four things I took from UPW this time, Unleash the Power Within. I didn't attend all of it. I attended some of it on a couple hour bike rides. And but at the same time, I'm I'm committed to going in November and playing full out. And so hope you guys can join me. Links to that, links to Business Master are going to be in the show notes. So make sure you check that out, guys. All right, now I'm going to get to a couple of questions, as I said, or, or answers to questions, and then we'll wrap up. But thank you guys for being here. Thank you for learning. Thank you for the the support. All right, so let me get into let me get into questions. So how do you study how the Federal Reserve works? So I first looked at this question. I was like, all right, do they want to know how the Federal Reserve works or do they want to learn how to study it? So I'm going to touch on both. So the Federal Reserve plays, I mean, central banks around the world play an instrumental role in society and in the economy. I hope you guys got that from the Richard Duncan interviews. To study how it works, I'd first want to look at understanding the fundamentals. We referenced in the video I did with Andy Tanner, How the Economic Machine Works, which is a video by Ray Dalio. Watch that a bunch of times. But in watching that, this is the best way I study and understand something, which is preparing to teach it and then teaching it. I would teach it in five-minute segments and teach it to somebody that maybe is somewhat familiar with it and then get their, get their feedback. But in the teaching, you are going to realize some of the voids in what you understand and or, or don't understand. And so that is one of the best ways to study is by teaching and discussing. So form a, a Facebook, little Facebook meetup and just teach it 
and understand it and do a watch party, you know, and watch how the economic machine works together and then start to see, you know, where the voids are, how you understand it. Then hopefully you're able to see the forces that are already in motion. And as one builds and other shrinks, it influences the outcome of markets, it in, in, the outcome of, uh, of prices, of interest rates. All of it is essentially tied together. Now, I'll talk just generally about a central bank. The reason, you know, this, this is go- dating back several years, and it's, it's a very kind of Austrian free market perspective. A Federal Reserve or central bank essentially creates currency out of thin air. And right now, it's usually monetizing assets, which is mostly debt. What that means is the the Federal Reserve can create, let's say, a, a billion dollars electronically and then purchase debt, purchase a loan that either wasn't there before or it's purchasing it from somebody who already owned it. And what that does is it manipulates the true price of the debt, which is ultimately uh, risk, and it manipulates the price of assets because that money didn't exist before. And when you look at free markets, efficiency, innovation, as I said before, you know, when things decline, when things go out of business, when things fail, that is not a bad thing. Okay, that is an incredible opportunity to innovate. And I believe what the central banks are doing, you know, European Central Bank has been is, has announced it recently. You know, the, the US central bank, central banks around the world are essentially doing the same thing as the Federal Reserve, which is they basically just created money out of thin air and gave it to people. And what that did is it flooded, it flooded society with money that was not earned. And that's what I consider the the immoral side of things, because money is essentially a receipt of value. And when money comes without any value created, it's that's not a natural transaction. There has to be an exchange. And so, but at the same time, that's not how our system works. And that's what the point of talking about uh, the the Federal Reserve and their role in society and in the economy with Richard Duncan, because. From just a general principles and freedom and liberty perspective that I, that I have, looking at how things should be is not going to get me anywhere. And it's not going to be valuable to anyone because it's not how it works. It may be how it should work, but it doesn't work that way. And so I look at what you know, Richard is really promoting, which is you know, paying attention to what the Federal Reserve does. That's how the, and the central banks, what they do. If they're purchasing you know these assets those assets are most likely going to going to go up uh if they're stimulating here and stimulating there it's creating artificial signals that ultimately are going to come home to roost meaning there you know if you if you support an institution that has no business of being in business let's say let's let's go back to kodak right let's say kodak who you know surprisingly enough like invented the digital camera let's say they actually created a business out of it, which they didn't. They got crushed because others created a business out of it. But let's say the government was like, you know, Kodak, you've, been, you've paid us lots of taxes. You're going down. Hey, we'll just give you more money. Kodak's not going to do anything different. They're just going to continue to operate and they'll have more money. And let's just say, oh, we're going to give you more money. They're going to continue to operate, give you more money. 
And then ultimately, when the money dries up, then Kodak's going to have a massive bankruptcy, a massive failure. But they just had a bankruptcy and a, and a kind of a smaller, smaller failure at scale, you know, smaller scale as, than if they were stimulated. So right now, what you're seeing, right, is that people are just being given money, being given money. Businesses are just being given money, being given money. But yet you still have tons of businesses that are going bankrupt. But what's amazing is I look at a lot of the businesses that are going bankrupt. Uh, let's look at retailers. You know, JCPenney, right? Great, great example, right? Retail e-commerce, it has like consumption in that method has gone up significantly. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yet retailers are going bankrupt. Okay, so it's not necessarily the business. It's how business is done. Right now, I believe that the way in which people consume and the way in which goods are created to consume is not at scale. It's at a very micro level compared to before. And that's awesome because it's just creating a new way of doing things, which creates efficiency. It creates variety. It creates you know, different jobs in different areas. But I look at, you know, again, how when things fail, it's not a bad thing. And so going to the, the central bank, what it does is it produces false signals. So when you realize that it's producing false signals, you want to look at the unintended consequence. You want to look at, okay, if they're giving money to, to an institution, giving money to an economy, to society, and you know, there's kind of a Band-Aid effect there, right? It's one of those like, is it really a Band-Aid? Because they're talking about another stimulus. They're talking about another one. And again, this goes to you know, kind of Parkin, Parkinson's law, right? And you're, you're going you're gonna to have this decline in productivity, this decline in personal responsibility, this because people are being bailed out. They're being bailed out. And I'm not saying that there isn't cause and there isn't importance in understanding that for maybe a short-term thing, but when it becomes a long-term thing, it's not healthy and there's going to be unintended consequences. All right. So that's my take on that. I would love for you to follow up whoever's question I answered, but teaching how the economic machine works is really what is going to allow you to study the principles of the Federal Reserve and central banking around the world at a much deeper level. All right. And the second question, I'll end with this, which is, uh, what if the stock market goes under? Is the Federal Reserve or central banks going to bail it out? So there's two parts of this, but this came from the Richard Duncan interview, which you know Richard essentially said that he would not be surprised if the Federal Reserve Act changed because in the Federal Reserve Act are essentially parameters as far as what the Federal Reserve can stimulate, what they can buy. And obviously, you know, it started out as, you know, just kind of setting interest rates and now it's setting interest rates by doing, you know, huge bond buying with government bonds, treasuries, uh, government debt. But now they're doing, you know, municipal, they're doing corporate bonds, even junk bonds. They're getting into the private sector, which is which is which is interesting. Now, but from an equity standpoint, right? They can't buy equities. They can't buy they, they can't buy uh, uh, stock, uh, to my knowledge. And so here is if stock market goes down, are they going to buy the stock? The stock market can't go under. So I, I think the premise there we first have to address: What if the stock market goes under? Our modern society is dependent on the stock market. It's where businesses are are scaled, where they're financed. I don't see how the stock market could go under without society going under. And if that goes under, then I mean, none none of what we're talking about from a financial standpoint is that relevant. So I I look at first off removing that premise that the stock market is going to go under. Is the stock market going to have challenges? 100%. It's going to have huge challenges because again, you're artificially stimulating and creating false signals 
because there are a lot of companies that are, that are public that got stimulus, right? So right now, you have companies that are propped up. You know, a, a big thing that I've talked about on the show before is you know stock buybacks, right? Where you you have essentially businesses that will take on debt. They'll issue new debt and then they will buy their own stock with that. And because of supply and demand, it keeps the stock price high. That's that was illegal through Glass-Steagall, which came about through you know the Great Depression and the stock market crashed then. Right. So as you're able to now stimulate businesses, Fed buying debt, you're going to prop up their value and then prop artificially have a, a, a stock price. And so I think this, I think there's going to be businesses that are going to innovate through this and will probably make out pretty well given the, stim, given the stimulus. But I think there's some businesses that if they keep doing what they're doing and their business relies on artificial stimulation, okay, which they, it's money that they get, but they did not create the value to get it. I think there's going to be, uh, there's going to be challenges. And I think there's probably going to be opportunities there. I know of several you know, opportunities right now where you have some entrepreneurs who are buying assets. Gosh, I think JCPenney is part of it. I think Hertz is part of it. I think there's, I'm not going to go into what bankruptcy is. Bankruptcy is not a company going out of business. I'll, I'll talk about it briefly. Bankruptcy is when a business restructures. Right when they're able to, you know, go into a receivership, which means all their assets, everything they own, goes into receivership, and then a receiver, okay, bankruptcy trustee, will essentially split up assets and they'll sell and, and get whatever they can. I know entrepreneurs right now are buying up a lot of those business assets that are incredible with online marketing, with e-commerce, and they're going to freaking crush it because they're buying assets at huge discounts and then taking those assets and using modern marketing and commerce principles to improve and maximize those those assets right so I, I think there's just tremendous tremendous opportunity uh, right now as as businesses go bankrupt shuffle the deck and you have very intelligent capitalist entrepreneurs that are maximizing uh, sorry optimizing the assets that were not optimized by the companies that held them before all right so yeah, and then the last thing I'll comment with Richard Duncan and, and equities. So you know, he alluded to the Fed bailing out, you know, equities bailing out the stock market. I wouldn't put it past. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I just think it's going to exacerbate the problem. So it's really having an awareness of what's happening, being able to anticipate the future, and uh, and make decisions uh, accordingly. That's it, guys. That's all I'm gonna talk about. I appreciate your time. Thank you for sticking with me. Hopefully those uh, answers made sense. Go on to our YouTube channel, make comments there, social media. I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, email us as well, hello at thewealthstandard.com. Everything I talked about will be available in uh, the show notes, uh, including all links. And if you are interested in the Tony Robbins Business Mastery, that's next month. It's going to be amazing. So check that out. Also go to the UPW Unleash the Power Within is in, in November. For me, it has been the best investment of time Money is not even, I mean, it'll be like a couple hundred bucks or a hundred bucks. I mean, what you'll be able to create, what degree of happiness you'll have as a result of it, uh, fulfillment, man, I think you're going to love it. So hopefully you guys can put that on your calendar and make the necessary uh, steps to attend that and benefit from it. And uh, like I said, I'll put some links uh, in the show notes to get more information there. Guys, you're amazing. Thank you for the support. Appreciate listening to the podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. 
Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.